You know, I'm a psychologist. And uh, as psychologists, we get trained that all meaning is individual. So the whole idea of marketing and the whole idea of communication is very often based on what we call individual psychology. And uh, after many years of working with brands across the world, we realized that nearly all meaning is actually social. It's, so human value is human, is social by design. So it's by the conventions we share, by uh, uh, the things we co-create, because the old model where psychology ruled uh, was very much a central organization telling the world what to do and individuals responding back to it. Uh, and the companies knew, authority knew. And uh, that's not quite the case, uh, as most of you have realized. Um, so that's one of our learnings, is to say everything that we must do around sustainability should be social by design, but also co-created. So trying to just define it in the Cartesian prison of brand uh, bureaucracies, that won't work. Uh, this morning, yeah. So what we try and uh, do in our working is always get people to apply more human logic. And human logic is actually de facto social logic. Um, in a lot of businesses, you land up thinking very much uh, in technical terms, missing very often the human value that you can create. Now, a great example is uh, we've been working with Coke and Deca on a, a project called Echo uh, Center. And initially, the project started out very much with we want to supply the world with clean water. And great technology coming. Uh, and, but then we went together into some test markets like Mexico and South Africa um, to see how does it actually become valuable in the communities where we want to place these things. And what we really learned is that uh, the big value of water is great, but it's even greater when you can build you know, an alternative trade system around water. And uh, if I would say one of the best things that came out of this shared value orientation is uh, when um, Coke came to the conclusion in South Africa that waste is never wasted until it's wasted. Uh, so what's the idea behind it is that in South Africa, in these very uh, rural areas, people don't have money but they have time. And for them to actually get access to clean water, an alternative trading post was created where they can bring in uh, waste, you know, bottles and tins, and in exchange for that, they can get clean water. And then Coke gave this new currency to a recycling company and sold it there. So. What's the whole point here is that there's a lot of creativity in how you create value. That's an economic reinvention. And that's also applying that human logic because people don't just want clean water. They also want to um, uh, earn their way into clean water. So the, the basic thing is, you know, this morning we spoke a lot about the right words, the right frame, the right uh, language. But basically, 
poetry alone will not change the world. Well, you know, I was just speaking to Mick and Nick. The West Coast engineering mentality is also required. We need also a cultural of engineering. Another example I'll give you is uh, uh, we've just started a company called Africa Drive in Benin, and they, um, the problem is that we can't get good mobility for Africa. And why? To bring good uh, vans and minibuses into Africa, it costs you about three times more expensive to bring a good car there. And why? Simple reason is to get into the country with vehicles that actually work and are safe, it's about 300% import tax. And the governments basically say that's the only way we can collect tax because inside Benin, you can't collect tax. So where did we then find a solution? Is to put tracker systems in the car. And now we actually agreed with the, the Minister of Finance of Transportation in Benin that per kilometer driven, we will pay tax so that we can get better vehicles to actually work in the country. So sadly, I don't have a photo, but if you look there, you have these old Peugeots that should be off the road about 40 years ago, still working there. And then we're surprised that so many you know, car accidents are happening there. So what's the big point that I'm trying to make? is that sustainable thinking requires a holistic approach where you bring different partners around the table and the different uh, beneficiaries. And in this case, the innovation didn't come with a new bus. I mean, we, we uh, brought these buses from Russia, actually, um, but it was in the business model of trying to bring down those barriers um, to actually do a good thing. So... That's a, an important point. Yep. Now, the last thing I want to say is, you know, we can get all technical about high tech in doing sustainable business. So this morning, if there's one thing I would like to take back home is that to make a business meaningful or to make a brand meaningful or humanized, we cannot do it if we are not humanized ourselves. And the low-tech proposition that we try and advocate to uh, most of the people we work with is that with three vital behaviors, you actually can bring down a lot of barriers to actually co-create value. The one is obviously, you know, marketeers are very good at outsourcing their feelings, you know. Uh, so we would say make a status update in person. Don't keep thinking that some analysis is going to give it to you. Get out there. Uh, meet human to human, people to people, uh, it can make all the difference. Second vital behavior is take on a human scope. You know, not an industry scope, not a product scope, but that whole ecosystem scope. And the third uh, uh, vital behavior in trying to get, you know, big and small companies to actually create value together is get serious about play. Because, you know, play... Re, you know, releases our creative juices. And I think this is a moment to let uh, Benoit tell the story of uh, how we do that. How many of you have children? How many of you have boys? Okay, you're going to understand that. I have a 10-year-old boy. Um, about oh, just a few weeks ago, he comes to me and says, I need a new pocket knife. 
I'm like, I bought you a new pocket knife two weeks ago. And he says, Dad, you don't understand. Two weeks ago, I wanted to cut some, some grass in the, in, the, uh, in the lawn. But now I'm trying to build uh, a little hut uh, with some branches. And that's a very different thing. So if I want to get, if I want to build something different, I need a different tool. What would you have done? I bought a new pocket knife. Because it does make sense. And it does make sense for him, but it makes sense in what we do. What we talked about this morning is a lot of trying to, def- trying to get to a different result. Trying to bring in sustainability and embed it into the work that the, that the brands uh, are doing. And it's not that easy. And it's very difficult to do it with the same tools as what we are doing in the rest of the world. Let me give an example. Um, about two years ago, we started working, year and a half, two years ago, we started to work with Unilever. Um, we talked a lot about them this morning. They, they have this very ambitious plan of bringing sustainable living at the core of what they do and making sustainable living part of growing their business. To make this work, they have to make it, to take it at the brand's level because the brands have the money. They are the ones having the initiatives. So they want the brands to be more sustainable. And then you start engaging conversations. A brand strategy at Unilever is built on one tool, which is called the brand key. The brand key has boxes which define what the brand does. And the boxes are things like uh, the functional benefits or the emotional benefits or the reason to believe. And they do all these things to define what the positioning is. And then the sustainable people come up and say, okay, and you know, what about these things about reducing the volume of plastic? And what about doing all these things so that we don't have sachets polluting the, uh, the rivers or the sewers in India? And then it's difficult because where do you talk? You know, wh- what kind of platform of conversation do you have when the tools they have to talk about the brand strategy are completely different from the tools they have to talk about sustainability? It really doesn't work. So what we've been doing with them uh, and, and with others is to bring tools, to create tools that allow us to get to a different result. What I'm going to do is to share some of those tools, um, but also to, sh- to share with you some Well, the way we put them to the test, uh, the way we've tried to show how they can help us take a brand and make a difference with it. Because some of the difficulty is that this morning we looked at a lot of brands being in, on the sort of the top right of, um, of the mapping where you've got those brands which are significant for people and they are sustainable and people would love to keep them. The question is, how do you get your brand up there when you're not there? How do you change what you do to get there? So that's exactly what we're trying to do. Take a brand which would be as bad down there and try to see if we could take it up there. And you'll be judged of whether that works or not. So tools. Um, the first tool I use is ecosystem value. How many of you, I wasn't family, I'm going to stay there. How many of you have more than two children? Okay. The few of you who have more than two children will, will understand that. The rest will guess. Um, so among, I've got four children, right? Among them, there's, there's a, a pocket knife boy, right? And pocket knife boy, he likes the very practical stuff. He comes home in the weekends. I'm a divorced father. He comes home in the weekend, and he wants to bake bread, and he wants to cut trees, and he wants to run, and he wants to do bicycle, and all these kind of things. His older brother is Mr. Geek. What he wants to do is spend the weekend in front of the computer and learn to make great PowerPoint presentation. He's 12. He wants to make PowerPoint presentation, right? But that's Mr. Geek. He wants to learn programming. He wants to do everything in front of the computer. So what do I do? They're my children. I'm trying to do something with the younger one. And then the other one is pissed off because I don't, I don't do anything with him. Then I do something with the older one and we spend time on the computer. And the younger one says, you've done nothing with me. 
And then I've got you know, my own personal nagging NGO, which is evaluating everything I do, which is my ex-wife. She calls me on, on Sunday night, and she goes, what did you do with them? They're all excited. You did nothing with them. And it's really difficult because I'm, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to create value for them as my consumers, me being a dad. And I've got different consumers or different stakeholders, if you want. And it doesn't work this way. Now, if you've got more than two children, you know that. The reality is they think they want something different. But what they really want, if I think properly, I can figure out what they want that would be uniting them. What they want is to have a fantastic weekend. What they want is to feel like a family. Because, again, I'm a divorced father. I don't see them all the time. So when we are together, we have to really create something great together. So here's what I do last weekend. I did uh, a baking session, which turned into a presentation. Because presentation guy wanted to do a presentation to, the, uh, to his school. So we ended up baking bread, figuring out the uh, recipes on the internet with, the, with the, the geek guy, and then testing out the recipes, and cooking the bread, and making pictures, and putting them onto the presentation. Everyone was happy. Even my NGO ex-wife. And why was that? Because what I did is I tried to create value for the ecosystem. Not just for one or for the other. I try to treat them all together as people having the same aspiration and create value for everyone together. Now, when Christophe talked about uh, the, um, the uh, eco-center thing, it's very similar. On eco-center, Coca-Cola came to us and said, we have this fantastic technology. So we're going to put it in a village and they're going to have free water. And you're like, yeah, great. But it's not that easy. Because, and, and then they knew that's why they came over. They said, if we put this stuff, maybe they're not going to use it. Because you've got, the, you've got the woman who normally walk 10 kilometers to get the water. You've got their husbands who are actually pretty happy to have the woman disappear. But the woman don't want to come. Actually, they were quite happy to walk because they like to have their friends and to talk with their friends when they're walking on the path. But you also have the NGOs working there who want to make sure that what we do for them is good. And you also have the village chief who is overlooking where there is water. So you've got a lot of people with different interests. But their common interest, once you think of them as an ecosystem, is having a community which is thriving. And once you start from that, you create an offering, and that's what Coke does, which is not just about this is water, drinking water in your village. You, around this offering, you create a community center, which is a place where you will find the water, but you will also be able to plug your mobile phones, which is making sure that people who work with a mobile phone can connect to one another. Uh, you also create a place where you can have the news or where you can share the news of the village, which makes sure that everyone in the village is participating into things. So because you've been trying to think about the ecosystem, you've crafted something which was serving everyone. And the ecocenter system, you, you will find it in the, in the news, is being rolled out. Everyone is very successful because it thinks ecosystem rather than Coca-Cola coming and say, we'll do something for the women, which is normally how we create value. We look at consumers and we create for consumers. Okay, second tool. Um, second tool is called immersions. Um, how many of you had a conversation with one of your consumers or customers in the last month? Okay. How many of you can tell me, uh, I had this conversation and that was like, aha, I learned that stuff which was so great. How many of you could, could say this? And that's more difficult. Yeah, some do. Hopefully, hopefully some do. But that's much more difficult. Why is that? Because when we build conversation, and a lot of, consu of consumer goods companies, a lot of companies in general do that. You build a conversation with your consumers, with your customers, and you, try, you end up doing what? Talking about your products. Talking about the stuff you know already and the stuff which are not that interesting for them. 
when we do what we call immersions is building conversations with the people we work with. Um, they could be uh, consumers, but they could be all other people in the ecosystems. And have conversations about with them, which are conversations not just about your product, but about the human reality into which those products nest. Let me give you an example. One of the um, industries we work with is baby milk. In baby milk, infant milk, the ecosystem is made of doctors and the government and companies who are fighting for breastfeeding and the mothers and all of that. And it's complicated. Now, when you do immersions, and I've done that very recently in, in um, China, um, when you do immersions, you talk to those people and you spend some time not talking about milk powder. You talk about what it is to be a mother, what it is to bear a child, what it is to grow a child, what it is to have ambition for your child when he grows. That's a very different conversation. So here's the kind of thing we had. Um, I talked to this mother and she was saying, you know, and she was completely panicked. She was almost in tears talking about what it is to raise her six months old because she says it's so difficult. You have to realize, she was 25. She says, I'm 25, I'm a child. How am I supposed to take care of another child? And I was like, that doesn't make sense. It does because this is China. So she was a child of the single child policy, which means she had no siblings, also no nephews, also no cousins. So when you're 25 and you're Chinese and you, you put a, a baby in your arms in the maternity ward, you have never seen a diaper. And obviously there is complete panic because it's so important. Right? So put that on one side. That's the conversation you have with the mother. We haven't talked milk yet, right? We just talk about what her experience is. Then we go to talk to a doctor. And we meet this fantastic old guy. He was nearly going to retire. And he talks about how difficult it is for these mothers and how much information they want and how, how he's trying to help them because he realizes that it's difficult, whatever. And because we had a good conversation and, and we were on a one-on-one, -on -one, in the end I say, okay, so what are you going to do now? And he says, well, I just took a break for um, over lunch to come talk to you, but now I'm going back to the hospital. I said, okay, so how many mothers are you going to see this afternoon? And he goes... Probably 45. And he has seen 30 in the morning. And so the reality was actually a doctor in, in seeing those mothers will spend two and a half minutes with them. So obviously they don't know nothing. Now you do these immersions, you haven't talked milk in any, in any minute, but what you realize is that the whole problem of the industry is knowledge. And so whereas these people are spending a lot of money into telling them, look at how my product is great, it's good to protect your child against being sick, it makes him taller, whatever, that's not the problem. They could actually build a relationship with these mothers on the, on the basis of helping them how to do things. Helping them how to wean a child out of milk. Helping how to breastfeed. Give them all these informations. If you do that, you do two things. First of all, you create a connection with them. You, you, you nurture a relationship with them, which is much stronger, so they're close to your product. And second, you create value for them and for the doctors and for the government and for the NGOs, for the entire ecosystem, which will thrive on having a better knowledge. Okay? So immersions allow you to have an access to stuff you wouldn't even dream about because you're talking other things than just your category. You're talking where your products are nesting. Um, the third tool is the Believer's Pyramid. When we talk this morning about some of the stuff we look at, and they do a really great job, um, it's always very easy to look at a brand and say, this was really great. But it's much more difficult to do it. Right? Um, now, what we do with the, brand, with the Believer's Pyramid is we try to crystallize in a very simple way what makes a brand works. Now, let me give you a very simple example. Uh, all of you know Dove. 
right? Uh, the campaign for real beauty and all these kind of things. I mean, we all look at that and we say, it's quite great, actually. It's very nice because they're talking about these beauty things, whatever. How do you understand why Dove is working? Well, Dove is working for a very simple reason. They start from what we call a human truth. The human truth on Dove is the idea that women don't like what they see in the mirror in the morning. Yeah? And we don't like that, by the way. If you think ecosystem, a lot of, you know, I, it doesn't feel good. I don't feel good having a daughter of 21 that she doesn't like what she looks and sees in the, in the morning in the mirror because the industry is telling her that you're supposed to have a thigh gap and all this kind of bullshit. It doesn't make sense. So women don't like what they see in the mirror, but we don't feel good about that. Now, what does Dove say? Dove is bringing two things to that. One of them is a point of view. And their point of view is very simple. They say, every woman is beautiful. And you know what? It's bullshit. But that's okay. Yeah, I look at you very surprised. Do you really believe every woman is beautiful? It's factually not true, but it's a beautiful point of view. I want to believe into it. So what you offer, what Dove does, is it offers people a point of view that they want to embrace, that they want to believe with. They want to believe, they want to share those values. Remember what we saw this morning? So many, 80% of people want to buy a product that they share their values. They offer you a value, a belief, which is every woman is beautiful. Now, they turn this into a product story. And that's the last element of the, um, of the, of the triangle. They turn them into product. And what does Dove do? Dove nurtures what a woman has. L'Oreal is sponsoring this, this session. L'Oreal has a very different point of view. L'Oreal says you can be beautiful by changing who you are. That's what sci science helps you do. Dove has a very different idea. They say you're beautiful already. Just nurture it. Just nurture what you have. So they sell um, um, uh, a product called Pro-Age. Rather than making an anti-age cream, they make a Pro-Age cream because you nurture what you have. You're happy with what you have. That simple triangle, the idea that women don't like what they see in the mirror, we have a point of view which is every woman is beautiful. And we bring it to life into something which is uh, a product that people can buy. That's enough to make a great brand because it gives the brand a purpose. It gives the brand a sense of why you are here. You're here to answer a human truth which is there. And you answer it through a product and through an idea. Three tools. Three very simple tools. Um, now, we thought we need to share with you some, some practical stuff, but it's very difficult to bring a case, which the kind of work we've done with our clients, because not all of our clients want us to share what we've been doing in reality. So we said we're going to challenge ourselves. We're going to take a case, which we're going to make specifically for this session. Um, and so we're going to do the following. We're going to take a brand, something where we really think it's bad, something which is really not purposeful. Um, and we're going to try to see if we can engineer into this brand some more purpose and see what happens. Okay? Now, let me ask you a question as a way to start. Oh, and by the way, we've done that with some of the people who are in this room. Christina was there. And we, so we've, we've invited some of you randomly in joining us to do this case. So it's, it's a case which was created by um, the community to really test out whether those tools were working. Now, here's a question. Many of you had children. Um, if I ask you, if you were to leave the country for a year, without a chance to go back, without a chance to call home, without a chance to write an email, yeah, would you trust your child to your spouse? Okay. 
Now, would you trust your child to your GP, the general practitioner who is taking care of the child when he's sick? Yeah, two or three people, you know your GP well. Now, here's the question. Would you trust your child? Would you trust the life of your child to your insurance broker? Yeah, well, good you're laughing because you know what? That's what you do. You trust the life of those you love to your broker. Though we would never want to do that because we tend to not trust them. Right? So the brand we've chosen is AIG. Now, why is AIG an interesting case? Well, first of all, because as a category, we don't trust it. There was a poll that came out recently. Um, 83% of the Americans polled uh, said that they did not trust their insurance to work in their best interest. 83%. It's very reassuring. And AIG obviously comes with a bit more baggage because um, they've gone through, oops, okay. They've gone through um, a, a, a buyout from the government and uh, plus they gave too much bonus, plus them, and there was a whole sort of disaster about it. So um, if you go on the internet, you'll find jokes about AIG. There's pages, entire pages of jokes about it. So it's, it's a really difficult case. Can we make something out of AIG? Can we make it more purposeful? Would we trust it? No, okay. Um, now, um, it's not, let me put it clear, it's not that they are bad people. It's not that they are trying to be bad. They're actually trying to improve their brands. They've done something quite interesting. They, they've rebuilt the story of their brands. They've paid the government back. They've, they've made an effort. And they've tried to rebuild the brand. Let's see what it looks like. If there's one thing we have learned at AIG. It's that tomorrow. Is what you make of it. Because we know that tomorrow. Brings opportunities. And opens doors that will redefine what's possible. Tomorrow is a place. Where our spirit of inventiveness. And adaptability will lead the way. Now, more than ever, people need someone they can count on to see the big picture. They need help to overcome challenges and navigate our fast-paced world. That's where we come in. With vision and foresight, we're helping 88 million customers worldwide to see their future and achieve their goals. At AIG, we know firsthand that the world can be a tumultuous place. But we've also learned that when the right people come together with the right values, they will find a way to turn the toughest todays into the brightest tomorrows. So we say, bring on tomorrow. Because we are the right people. We have the energy and the skill to do what no other insurance company can. We offer forward-thinking solutions that can help our customers in every corner of the world to take the next step. We're ready to face hurdles. When a storm hits or whenever our clients need us most, we are there. Now, as we lead the industry into the future, our goals are clear and our values remain constant. We're getting better, growing stronger. And with our people, our drive, and our resources, we can aim higher, reach farther, and dream bigger. This is the new AIG. Together, we're building a great tomorrow. So bring on the building people said can't be rebuilt. Bring on emerging markets and new technologies. Bring on entrepreneurs yearning to grow. Bring on retirement and longer life. Bring on a more secure and productive world for everyone. Bring on tomorrow. Bring on tomorrow. Bring on tomorrow. Good. 
how many of you leaving this room would go to AIG to open a new insurance? Okay. We're going to see, we're going to see what we can do better. Um, and again, it, they're trying. It's, not, it's just that it's difficult. It's a difficult industry. So what did we do? Um, ecosystem. What's the ecosystem for AIG? Who are the people who are touched by the brand, who are influenced by the brand? Who are the people who influence AIG and, and, and the company? You and I, people having insurances, uh, companies having insurances, um, but also um, the guy that repairs the car being paid by AIG after you made an accident, but also the hospitals uh, who are going to do the, the treatment that I need, um, but also um, the, um, the consumer protection organization that try to help you when there was too many small uh, writing and that creates some issues, but also the government, but also communities, but also cities. Now, why is that? Because when you think of it, we tend to look at insurance and say insurance is about sharing the risk that we don't want to take, or insurance is about compensating the risk, so you had a disaster and something comes back. But then reality is bigger than that. You know, when you think of it, as a society, we've become risk adverse. And why is that? Because risks or uncertainties are blocking our growth. If in a neighborhood you've got uh, fights and drugs and mugging, you don't have stores opening and creating jobs. If in a country there is civil war and there is no development, take Rwanda, you stop civil war and the country is going like this because stability is what helps us grow. If in a school there is, there is mugging or bullying, then the children don't learn. So we need stability to grow. We as the people having insurances, but also the government, because that's what's helped the society grow, but also the communities. So you look at the ecosystem and you say the ecosystem is actually not just us, AIG, and the insurance. It's an entire group of people that we could define as the stability seekers. So what did I do here? I've actually I've defined a group of people who will belong to this ecosystem. But I've also defined an aspiration that could bind together. Remember the story of my boys? The one who wants to be playing with the knife and the ones who want to be uh, playing in front of the, uh, of the computer. What brings them together is this idea of we want to have a great weekend. What brings everyone being touched by AIG together is this idea that we need stability. So that's, that's the hypothesis we made. Now obviously, once you got that, um, we wanted to um, uh, go and have a conversation with those people. So we did some immersions. We invited some people in the session we had. It was three weeks ago. We invited some, um, uh, like some community bloggers, and uh, we invited some people who were working with um, uh, the protection of consumers. We invited some brokers, a number of people, and we had long, settled conversations with them. And that was really interesting, because there again, when you go in depth, you understand stuff you didn't imagine. Um, I had a conversation, for instance, with a young woman she, who was a bubbly, nice young woman. She was a broker. And um, so I said, how come you work in insurance? And she was like, well, you know, I sort of started and then I made the diploma. So now I'm sort of there. And do you really like it? Well, you know, not that much. And, and, and it was difficult for her to really say she loved it. Um, 
and tell us a bit more about it. And she explained what, what the work that she was doing. She was an insurer in the, in the field of small businesses. So people come in and in the business insurance. And I'm like, okay, so your job is to suggest people the right thing, right? You're sort of consulting people in the right insurance. When you, if you offer me an insurance for my business, you've got the choice between how many companies. And she goes, 200? And I'm like, what? But how do you know which one is good? And, and basically she says, I don't. Yeah, how would you know which one is good between the 200 ones, right? I said, but you talk to those people, right? And she says, well, some of them, they've got an agent. I can talk to them. So what about AIG? Do you talk to them? And she says, AIG, uh, let me think. Yeah, they used to have an agent, I think, five years ago, but they, they cut the position. So do you sell AIG? Yeah. Do you, do you ever talk to someone? No. And you're like, wow, this is, talk about a human world, right? And she said, so we said, how would you improve that? How would you try to do things better? And she goes, well, you know, what would be great for my clients would be to create for them uh, contracts where all the risk would be shared, would be built together. Like you would have a company um, insurance, but next to this, you would have the building insurance for the company and all these kind of things together. But she says, you know, that's not possible. I said, why is that not possible? It's good for people. Yeah, she says, but it's a very regulated market because... Uh, there's a lot, of, a lot of mandate and a lot of obligation. So the underwriters who write the contract, they're very specialized. An underwriter who writes uh, a fire protection contract cannot work uh, on a, 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 social, uh, sorry, um, a personal responsibility contract. It's too different. So basically what happens is this is a market where people don't trust each other and they trust each other so little that you make things extremely complicated to protect consumers with, as a result, the fact that no one understands nothing which is really protecting consumers, right? Um, so she was, it, it, was, it was terrible talking to her because you, you had a feeling to be in a sort of Kafka world where there was nothing, she, and she was speaking, it was really, really tough. But you, but you learn, right? Now, and she said, you know, so I said, but what, so, so what, what do you do? Where do you, where do you get some pleasure? And she says, you know, what I do is I'm, I'm trying to work on the side of my customers. For instance, when they have an accident or something, I'm, I'm fighting against the company to get them paid back. I said, what do you mean you have to fight? You fight. Because they're supposed to pay back if there is an accident. And she was like, oh no, it's not like that. You don't get it. Insurance don't make money if they pay you back. So they will really try to not pay you. And you're like, hang on, I'm subscribing a contract to be protected, but they're trying to not pay me back. And she says, of course, understanding it's logical. If they pay you, they lose money. They don't pay you, they earn money. So they basically have a business system where whatever happens, they make money by raping you. And I'm not wanting to use a bad word. So, you know, this is really, we got out of these conversations, you know, we were really flabbergasted because it's a tough thing. And the one understanding we had was we need to turn that business on its head. AIG needs to turn it on its head if they, if they want to have a chance to recreate a different relationship. So how do we do that? Well, um, we started to work on, um, on, a, on, the, uh, on a pyramid, on the Believer's Pyramid. And we said, look... We're talking to an ecosystem of people who need stability. We are all the stability seekers, and we know that it's good for everyone in the ecosystem. Actually, everyone has the same interest. The hospital, if he's sure that you get paid properly, will do a better business than if you run away without paying the bills. In the same way that the state will have a better situation by people being protected in the case of a hurricane or this kind of thing. So everyone has the same interest. We want stability. But as a company, what can AIG offer as a point of view? Well, here's the point of view they can offer. The point of view they can offer is together, 
we can create a world where there is less pain and hardship. You're like, hang on, what do you, what do you mean? Well, because think about the Philippines now, right? Can you really create a world with less pain and hardship? The tough thing is, you can. After the tsunami in 2006, there was a system to warn people in case of accidents, right? If the houses are better built, then people are better protected. If the, if the uh, telecommunications are better, better constructed against these things, then people are better protected. But what's the role of the insurance? Well, that's where it gets interesting. Who knows what kind of buildings collapse and what kind don't? Who knows what kind of neighborhood gets mugged and what kind don't? Who knows what kind of cars have more accidents than others? Who knows what kind of situation will get you sick and, and what kind of situation will not? Your insurance company. Because they run on statistics. They are the champions of big data. They know everything because they are paid for that. Because they're paid to calculate risk. So they know everything. They know how to reduce the risk. And that's where it gets interesting. Because if instead of just calculating how much the risk is, they would work with us and say, you know, this kind of car, this kind of driving behavior, this kind of door protection, that's what's helping you reduce the risk. Then that would help, wouldn't it? So the product proposition it could reinvent to make this belief of creating a world with less pain come to life would be a business model where they would work with the communities to reduce the risks which are preventable. So that when they have to pay back, they actually will be able to pay back. Because think of it, if they can help you reduce the risk, there's going to be less money to pull out. So they will make more money. But by doing that, they will also create value for the entire community. If they help a neighborhood secure uh, cars and the entrances of the, you know, all the doors of the, uh, of the buildings, then there will be less uh, accidents or there will be less people coming in and breaking into the houses, which is not just a financial thing. It's a benefit for everyone in the neighborhood. So what you do with this is you basically turn around the idea of who we are serving. We're not just serving consumers. We're serving the entire community of people who need stability. And you completely turn around the benefit you offer to people to create value for them, which is value that uh, is by the fact that you reduce accidents rather than just paying this better. And you've done something quite different. It's a bit like this morning's example where if you go more than three times per week to the gym, you actually pay less. This is exactly what this insurance could do. If you go more than three times to the gym, you actually pay less. They see it as a good, healthy behavior. Now, that's a bit theoretical. So how does that work for real? What we did after that, uh, once we had designed that, is try to figure out what kind of product it would give. Because this is strategy. This is what you build into your brand, and you say, we're going to do everything along this. What kind of product would it, would it do? Well, here's an example. Um, we call that um, Spot IG. You know Spotify? Okay, Spot IG. Here's the thing. I'm a pretty heavy traveler. Now, I land in Nigeria next week. And as I arrive in, the, in Lagos, I've got this uh, beep beep on my, on my phone. I've got this little node that comes up. This is the IG. Great. Um, you just landed in Lagos. Oh, yeah, I gave them my location. Lagos is a pretty dangerous city. Yeah, I know that. Now, here's the thing. Uh, if you want to use a taxi, always call it in advance and use this number because they are a safe company. Ah, now you're helping me. And by the way, this is the number of our local contact. In case of anything, you can call and help. Ah, now I feel nice. And by the way, 
If you need an insurance for the three days you're in Lagos to cover your property, your MacBook and your iPhone and all of that, you just click on this, and for $5 a day, you will be covered 1,000 euros. And I'm like, ah, maybe this is helping. Now, here's another product. Um, this was called Spot IG. Let's talk about uh, AI community. Okay, who of you lives in an apartment? Okay, so if you live in an apartment, you've got a few people living in the same block as you're living. Here's the thing. Your insurance goes to you and says, um, you know, you live in a neighborhood that's relatively prone to break-ins, burglaries, and you don't have a safe door. If you guys would actually unite together, uh, we would give you access to um, um, a, block, a code door for your, uh, for your building at a reduction of 25% because we do this with the supply that we normally do, and we would give you 15% less uh, cost on your insurance because now you have a security door, therefore you will be less in danger. Now suddenly what you've done for me is you got me to talk to my neighbors, get a single contract that all of us that gets all of us more protected and get to pay less. You created value for me. You're creating value for the entire ecosystem of us as a neighborhood. Okay? Now, here's another idea. Um, you know Airbnb? Think of something like this. Um, a platform where if you're a broker and you sell insurance, you get on the platform. If you're someone who is uh, selling security items, you jump on the platform. If you're someone who just wants to help your community and you're very concerned about accidents for young children, for instance, and you know how to safe-proof an apartment uh, for young children, you jump on the community and you do your offering. If you're someone who wants to, you just had a break-in and you need to fill in the form and you don't know how to do it, you jump on the platform. And you can access all these resources of people helping one another. But here's the trick. Just like on Airbnb, everyone is evaluated. So that your broker, you know if he's a good broker or not a good broker because everyone will have created an assessment of him. You yourself, you will have an assessment, good or bad. So that will actually do what? Well, that will have you have more resources for security. That will have you access to this young woman who knows everything about safe-proofing your, your apartment for your child when he turns two and he starts walking. But it will, so the, everyone will actually benefit, but it will also create trust within that whole conversation of insurance where today there is no trust. Because if I know that all the people in my area have given a fantastic rating to that broker down the corner, I can go and talk to him and he will know a bit better. Okay? So three, three, three different elements. You know, spot IG, something that talks to you about your risks, something that would group your, um, your entrances, something that, something that allows you to get, uh, as a community, to sort out some, um, some, some elements. How does that feel? Have we created something different? How many of you would sort of go out and have a chat with the IG now? Yeah, a few. Okay? So what have we done? In reality, we've done something really simple. We haven't even done your product. We've done something very simple. We've brought a different thinking. We've turned thinking from a relationship between the, the consumer or the, or the customers and me to a relationship within an ecosystem. We've turned the definition of value into what I do for them and how much they pay to creating value for the ecosystem. And by the way, also enabling the ecosystem to create value within. You know, with this platform, you go in, you create value for one another. Okay? So by, by changing the thinking, uh, by diving in, by understanding what was real, what was really the issue on the category, we've, we were able to inject into the, uh, into the architecture of AIG something that could make it 
um, a, pur- a purpose brand. Now, is there a lot of work to do? Yes, this is strategy. This is about starting to think differently, and you've got a lot of things to do to make it work. Um, but those three tools basically help us do that. They help us rethink in a way that brings together purpose and marketing in, in, in a single place, where you can have a conversation that brings them together and creates value that would be sustainable value, that would be your marketing value, that would be CSR value and would grow your brand. That was the whole purpose, the whole purpose of it. Good. I talked a lot, um, and we promised that this would be a bit more interactive. So I want to make sure that um, we can let you ask questions. Maybe I'm going to ask one question myself to start with. Um, I'm going to turn to Christina, who was in the session, so who was one of the, uh, the guinea pig who worked on the tools with us, um, and just ask her to tell us how the, um, how the session felt and, and how difficult or how easy it was. Thank you. Um, yeah, it was actually a really interesting experience. And first of all, in, in our particular context, we went in not knowing who the company was or, the, or really the sector or any type of background, which, of course, if you were to apply this um, with your own company, would be a very different experience. Um, so going into it a bit blindly um, was unique in that way. But what I think is really interesting about what Innate does and, and the tools that they offer is that as you'll see, some of the things that were talked about today is, you know, we've heard these ideas before, especially if you work in the sustainability space, you know, the idea of stakeholder engagement, you know, the immersion example and um, stakeholder mapping, so talking about um, that ecosystem. But there's a real methodology to how these tools work together. Um, And I think one of the most interesting things about it is that when you're in the business context, it's very easy to try to take the shortcut and you work in your silo and, and you're working within your company and and you're just working with those people on your team and, and trying to get to the solutions. Um, whereas this really forces you to step out of that role and think about yourself as a person and as a consumer um, and almost take a little bit of a longer road to that solution, but ultimately um, one of, I think, of more value. So um, it was a very interesting and rewarding experience. Um, we came to, it's interesting actually to see what they, <laughs> what they resulted with because we didn't really know at the end um, what each of those aspects would be. Um, but I definitely think it's, it's worth um, thinking about it in this way. Um, yeah. Any questions? Proposal. No, this was an example. Okay. I'm very happy to talk to the IG. <laughs> but this was an example we built uh, to precisely have something we could talk about without having some issues with confidentiality. Well, I think what's, what, what's important is, you know, the world doesn't need more theory. It just needs more practices or new practices. Um, welcome to Share Hours. It's really low-tech technology. It's called human-to-human technology. And uh, if in business we can just apply a little bit more of that, I'm sure that uh, a lot more things can be sustainable. So uh, feel free to collect a copy at the back. Uh, If you are interested, we're happy to share our thoughts.